There is no one way to learn or behave, and differences are not deficits. Employers are recognising that there is immense value in recruiting neurodiverse talent. Neurodivergent people can often have really in-demand skills that we're looking for, highly analytical, high attention to detail, or skills that are really in-demand in our business. We created a dedicated hiring program, creating employment opportunities for people on the spectrum. Welcome, Jess. Thanks for having me. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of The Inclusive Exclusive, a podcast brought to you from the World of Work Institute at Henley Business School. I'm Dr. Melissa Carr, and today we're going to be talking about neurodiversity in the workplace and how organisations can attract and support a wider range of talent, particularly those who are neurodiverse. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jess Freer, who's a Senior Manager for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Westpac. Australia's first and oldest bank, headquartered in Sydney. But before Jess introduces herself, what do we mean by neurodiversity? Neurodiversity is a term which recognises that as individuals, we all experience and interact with our environment in unique ways. By talking about neurodivergence, this highlights that there is no one way to learn or behave, and differences are not deficits. When we talk about neurodiversity, we most commonly refer to this in relation to the autism spectrum disorder, dyslexia, dyspraxia, or ADHD. Those who are neurodiverse can face discrimination and additional barriers to access the workplace, which we'll discuss later. However, employers are recognising that there is immense value in recruiting neurodiverse talent. One such organisation is Westpac who in 2018 introduced their award-winning Tailored Talent Programme, which we'll hear more about today. So welcome, Jess. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Westpac? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Melissa. So as you've said, I'm a Senior Manager for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion with Westpac, which is one of the largest banks in Australia. We're actually the first bank over 200 years old now. And my role is incredibly diverse in itself. So every day looks very different. It could be from developing strategy, writing papers for the board and the executive team, through to developing and designing, launching strategic DEI initiatives, developing policy and benefits for our people, all the way through to dealing directly with employees and helping them and support them through their workplace experience. So part of the the work that I've been doing uh, over the last seven years that I've been with Westpac, where I started out was actually in a dedicated area where we developed uh, strategic talent sourcing programs, where we brought, I guess, unconventional talent pathways into the business. So some of those looked like hiring women in leadership from non-financial services industries into the bank, or we developed a program that I led the design of where we had um, STEM PhD students who work part-time at Westpac while they're doing their, their research. And another one of those programs was a dedicated hiring program to hire people on the autism spectrum, knowing that there are barriers to typical recruitment processes. Great. Thanks, Jess. So, so it sounds like your background's really about, as you said, looking at sort of non-traditional hires. And what we're going to talk today is really around this idea about how do you recruit people who are neurodiverse. Westpac, it was looking at people on the autism spectrum. I mean, you, you absolutely rightly said that there are 
barriers to entry for various different people within society, one of those being people who are neurodiverse. And just in terms of if we look at what those barriers are, for example, so a study by Autism Spectrum Australia in 2018 estimated that there's around one in 70 people in Australia were autistic, but only 40% are employed. And this is very similar in the UK. So, for example, in the UK, the Office of National Statistics found that just 22% of autistic adults were in any type of employment. And the National Autistic Society found that those who were autistic and who were working felt that they were underemployed or in low-skilled work or that their skills were being overlooked by their employer. So there's real initial barriers for people to overcome in terms of the recruitment process itself. In 2018, we talked about this idea that Westpac ran its first tailored talent programme. Can you tell us a little bit about the scheme and, you know, how it did try and tackle some of the barriers to the recruitment? Yeah, absolutely. So the tailored talent autism hiring programme, I wish I developed and designed it, but I did not. But I got to work on the second cohort of the programme that we ran after it was so successful. But the intent was recognising that neurodivergent people can often have really in-demand skills that we're looking for for our business. They can be highly analytical, really strong problem-solving and technical skills, uh, very high attention to detail, or skills that are really in demand in our, in our business. So the business case was quite easy on, on that front, but we also acknowledged that neurodivergent people can face barriers to getting into successfully getting into roles, as you've said. So a good example of this is you know, our typical recruitment and hiring process includes interviews as a strong element of that, which can create a highly anxious situation for somebody who's on the spectrum and lacks some interpersonal skills. Equally, we have a mandatory culture fit assessment that individuals go through as part of the hiring process. The hypothetical nature of the culture fit assessment tools can be really difficult to navigate for people who are on the spectrum. So recognising that, we created a dedicated hiring program, bespoke program, and we partnered with an organisation called Specialist Earn. They specialise in autism hiring. Their business is dedicated to creating employment opportunities for people on the spectrum. And they helped us to design a dedicated assessment centre style program where instead of going through interviews, culture fit assessments, candidates went through this assessment centre style program. So over the course of three weeks, they got to engage in activities that felt comfortable and complementary to their style and preferences. They were observed um, with, you know, and got the opportunity to demonstrate their skills on the job. They got access to leaders to learn more about the organisation. They got to shadow teams and learn more and meet the teams as well. So a win-win for both in terms of being able to observe real-life workable skills and getting access to learn more about the organisation as well. So that's what it was all about. The things that were really important to developing that program, one being that we had to get, um, we got upfront commitment from the business to hold the headcount and fund the roles that were going to be dedicated for the program. So there was already a commitment there from the business to hire this group of talent. We later learned during um, a review of the first cohort that it was even more important to provide 
actual specific roles that people could apply for rather than general program roles that we would hire people into. That role clarity was really important for the candidates. And the other pieces that were important were getting, you know, real-life work projects that people could get in and and work on through the assessment centre. We also invested a lot in developing and coaching and providing support to both the people leader, the team and the candidate to help support the journey as they came into the organisation and provided that program support from our team to ensure that these people could continue on. So they were hired in on a uh, sort of 12-month maximum term contract and we supported them over the first 12 months and then supported them into ongoing employment. So I think a good proof point of the program is that majority of the, well, I think all but one of the candidates in the first cohort continued on past the 12 months, many of whom are still with the bank five years later. And that's the same for the second cohort as well. So very successful in terms of retention, but also very successful in terms of the positions and the performance of those people in the position. So the hiring managers, you know, only within a couple of a couple of weeks in some cases, were astounded by the unique and diversity of thought that this this group of people would bring to their business. In one case, they had a long-standing problem you know, they'd been trying to find a solution to for, I think, three years, and the participant on the program solved it within three weeks. So the performance outcomes that they were seeing made it a no-brainer for us to run a second cohort of that of the program. Yeah, thanks, Jess. I mean, there's so much you say, though, which is, I think, really important. And I think, you know, what I take away from that is it's not, you know, you really looked at the recruitment process. And, you know, as you said, it's not just about, so it's, you know, traditional recruitment process such as interviews rely so much on, some people are just very good at interviews, aren't they? And they rely so much on kind of how you can manage your, you know, impression management, really, isn't it? Which probably doesn't necessarily link to ability sometimes. Absolutely. Um, so I think for having this sort of two-week program where people could, as you said, overcome some of those interview anxiety and really sort of demonstrate their skills and then work with people. Extending that kind of process out really seemed to sort of help. And there's probably many lessons there, I think, just generally in terms of recruiting about sort of the kind of fit for that. But there's um, the other thing I think you said, which was really important, which is about having these specific roles identified so that there were actual sort of job openings within the business. And I think that's really important. And one of the things that we've seen is this increase in the number of organisations who have been introducing customised recruitment programmes. Um, so organisations such as uh, IBM, Microsoft, Google, JP Morgan. And that's really positive progress. One of the things I think you've sort of touched on is that there's sometimes a positive stereotype. People with autism will be good in certain roles, data science, programming, these types of things. And what it seems that you know you, you identified is that there are wider benefits um, to Westpac of hiring from a wide group of people. How did you ensure that people had opportunities to shape their own careers? Mm, That's a good question. And something that was definitely well thought of in the design of this program across both of the cohorts that we've run is we didn't want to pigeonhole people into a particular stereotype or into a particular role. So what you'll see at Westpac is that we have offered roles under these programs beyond technology. So technology did play a big role in that because there was a very strong alignment with candidate skills and capabilities. It was a no-brainer for our business when they saw some of the outcomes for the first cohort to extend that out into the second cohort. And 
you know, we had areas of the business beyond technology. So we had finance, risk, compliance, even our institutional bank who committed to taking on candidates. And it helped us to really build some more breadth around the opportunity for people. So we went out and, as I said before, got that upfront committed commitment from the business to take on candidates. So they'd secured the headcount, the funding for the program. And then we asked them to identify specific roles in their business that they want us to recruit for. And that was really important to go out to that community and say, these are the roles that will be available. And then over the course of that three-week assessment centre, we had members of that of each of those businesses come along and talk about their business area, talk about the specific roles, and they ran and led those sort of real work sample tasks that the candidates worked on over that time. And so that was the reason we don't have to do the interviews because those hiring managers are seeing people at work and seeing how they work both individually and within a group and demonstrating those capabilities. So when it comes down to the matching process, so specialist terms are great in terms of gathering data on the, the skills of proficiency of the candidates as they go through those assessment centres, but then also the hiring managers are getting to meet them equally the candidates are getting to meet the hiring managers and and decide what they want. So when it comes down to the matching, it was really about taking the candidates' preferences, taking the hiring manager preferences along with all those scores and then marrying up to find, you know, right role, right fit for the right person. And I think that's why it's had such good outcomes in terms of performance and retention because really clear on what the role is going to be and what this person can bring to the role and we've got it right. You know, that's, that's just the bread and butter of recruitment, right? Like finding the right person for the right role. But this was a very in-depth approach to, to doing that and ensuring that we had the right people on the on the program. You know, that sort of two-way matching process where, you know, you had the hiring candidates and the candidate, that worked really well. And the outcomes for that, as you talked about, has both been in terms of really positive business outcomes. So, you know, it's had a real impact on the business. But you also talked about one of the outcomes is that also there's been a huge success and that the retention has been really good. So of the first cohort and I think the second cohort, you've had a high level of retention. I think what that speaks to is probably something around how people are included when they are then part of the business. So how did you support those managers and the people within the team sort of on a longer process beyond the initial recruitment process? Yeah, so up front, we worked with Specialist Stern to deliver a training program to build people's understanding and awareness around neurodiversity overall. And so that was offered to the people leaders. It was also offered to people among the team, which had the added benefit of that we were educating a broad spectrum of people about neurodiversity who might not have had any exposure to it before. So that was great. We had great feedback from that. We'd had one-on-one coaching available to the people leaders and we built an employee support plan in collaboration with the candidates to help understand their strengths, their development areas, the things they feel comfortable with, the preferences that they have around communication, if there's any workplace adjustments that they might need to help them, you know, work to their best um, within the work environment. But then one of the things that was a learning that we found over time was things change. Organisations, particularly the size of of Westpac, people move around a lot. And so one of the things that we hadn't really considered was that 
those people that we had did that up to front training with weren't always going to be there for the lifetime of the person's career. And so we had to figure out what was a way to empower the individual to feel comfortable in how they could share what their preferences are or share as much as they need to about what's going, what support they might need in the workplace and help educate them. So we did two things. One is we helped train the participants, the individuals on how they talk about, you know, uh, the support that they might need in the workplace and whether that's disclosing that they're neuro- neurodiverse or not they don't have to do that but it might it's just about having the confidence to have the conversations of you know what they might need in the workplace the other thing is that we built some online learning modules which we still use today and we've been updating recently that can be provided as a resource to anybody in the team to just help them get the 101 on what is neurodiversity all about what do I need to do in the workplace to be a supportive colleague to somebody if I know nothing so that there's some of the things that we've put in place to help empower the individual and have an ongoing stream of education for the business around that. And then within the first year, the coaching that was provided by Specialist Stern was quite in-depth. It was sort of this monthly check-in and we did that from a program team perspective. But it's not sustainable for us to do that over the, the lifetime of somebody's career. We need something that is more sustainable that can be led by the individual. And I guess those online learning, I suppose it had a wider benefit for people, I suppose, because um, not just about neurodiverse colleagues, but in people's home lives, I guess you'd be looking after children who are neurodiverse and family members that, you know, it's probably a great resource for people beyond work as well. Yeah, we know we have a big community of our employees who are parents to people who are on the spectrum or who know somebody. And so I think it was a really strong signal us launching these programs as bespoke as they are because it gave people a lot of hope for the future for their own situations. And we've even had that feedback from some of the, the uh, participants in our one of our cohorts of the Taylor Talent Program where we actually had one of their mothers reach out to us and say to us, thank you so much for running this program. I never thought that my son would have a, you know, stable corporate professional career, let alone now he's, you know, more confident in his interpersonal interactions and he's actually financially empowered and he's moved out of home and has his own place now, which was a, you know, something that we should consider from a business perspective, but we don't always think about it to that extent, but it is really impactful on people's lives and those around them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you ran the first program in 2018 and you've run a second program since. I guess, obviously, one of the big things that happened in that period of time is the pandemic. So what from the learning that you took from the first program, how how has it changed and evolved? So a few things changed, absolutely, because the second cohort was run during the pandemic and was run virtually. So the first one was, you know, everyone went into a physical space and they had these workshops. But I think one of the unintended benefits of everything moving to virtual is it actually created a better platform for neurodivergent individuals to access the assessment centre. So we're able to condense down the assessment centre. We're able to provide a little bit of an off switch, I would say a little bit of anonymity across the assessment centre because people were able to 
switch off camera, you know, use chat functions, use different technology to support them through. And I believe specialists don't have now even condensed down their assessment centre approach to a one-week program that can be leveraged, recognising that they also have a higher community of people who are mid-career and now changing career and accessing those programs through that as an avenue, whereas early days was early career and, you know, sort of uh, post, just postgraduate undergraduate degrees so that has definitely been a benefit of I mean at the time it was quite difficult to redesign but it has had that unintended benefit of creating more access and easier um, experiences for people to go through that assessment process and equally for the hiring managers as well being able to connect with people virtually rather than take time out of their day to go and visit some venue or something like that that been helpful we had a lot of a lot of great engagement from the hiring teams as a as a result of that so there's been some real sort of as you said unintended benefits from being able to sort of offer that accessibility yeah it did mean a total redesign of some of the workshop activities because some of them were actually quite hands-on there was a robotics workshop that was built out in the first program which couldn't be replicated into a virtual scenario so I had to really go back to the drawing board for that but with a lot of benefit I'm thinking about just a little bit about you know we talked a bit about this idea about in being inclusive and building an exclusive culture. The Tailored Talent Program is a really good example about how Westpac seeking to be more diverse and re- represent the community. But part of that is creating an inclusive culture, which is critical to how people are supported and their sense of belonging um, when they are in the organisation. More broadly speaking, what, what do Westpac do to build an inclusive culture? So I'll start with just Referring back to the Taylor Talent Program, I think something that was an absolute benefit as it relates to our culture was that we have kind of embedded in our DNA flexibility and the support adjustments that the people in the Taylor Talent Program needed. It was really easy for them to access the support that they needed in terms of uh, whether that's flexible work arrangements, whether that was remote working, flexible hours, certain spaces that they might need within the workplace. That's part of the Westpac culture that was easy. So when people were asking, like, what do these candidates need? You know, what's different? And I was like, "Mm, not much different to what you would typically offer somebody within Westpac anyway. So that's number one in terms of creating an inclusive environment is probably that we've got the foundations set around how to support people and that kind of frame of mind thinking from a people leader perspective already. So having that ecosystem really made it easy to to run programs like this because we don't we're not introducing something new into our culture the second thing i'll talk about is is the diversity equity inclusion team we exist to ensure that our employees uh, feel valued safe and respected at work so there's a few major things that we focus on all with employees sitting at the heart of what we do one of the major work streams that i run is the moments that matter stream and what we think about in in that is you know Everyone has stuff that they go through in their life and you can't separate that from from work. And so how do you create an inclusive and supportive experience for people so that they can be happy, healthy humans, they can continue working? And we, we talk about good work is good for people. We don't want people taking extended time off because they've got stuff going on with their personal life, but how can we make those things work together? And so stuff 
like the policy developments that we're making really hit on some of those big life moments. It's about parental leave. Last year we introduced paid fertility leave for people who are going through IVF or you know, egg freezing or, or the like. You know, we're looking at how do we support uh, menopause in the works workplace? How do we support people who are carers or become carers? How do we support people who acquire a disability, illness or injury? All of these things that happen and they're part of life and we want to support them from a work perspective. So that that's one. Another massive piece of work that we are focused on, we call it the upstander. And this is really about ensuring that we have employees who feel confident and capable to speak up when it matters. So speaking up when they see or hear something that that's not right. So we're talking about discrimination, bullying, harassment, but we're talking about that not just at the category uh, category A where it's blatantly obvious, but at the uh, level where it's about everyday exclusionary behaviour and microaggressions and tackling that, ensuring people feel safe to speak up in those moments for their colleagues and you know, to their people leaders. So that's a big one for us and really links into work that we have overall as a bank around risk culture, but it's sort of the people element to that. And then the other pieces for us is really about ensuring people feel connected and that their identity is celebrated at work. So we have uh, 10 employee advocacy groups that represent different diverse communities and they celebrate days of significance and they connect people and they provide opportunities for people to develop together and really create that safe space for people to be themselves at work. And then we continue to drive that through storytelling and driving dialogue and education around lived experiences of, of our people. So that's our focus on building a really inclusive but intersectional view it's quite easy to go down the path and we have for a long time when we think about diversity to think very demographically to think about you know women to think about cultural diversity to think about disability and we still do that that's important but we really want to drive that sort of intersectional and inclusive lens because that has the impact on you know how we operate in in our overall culture that's brilliant so i think the word you use there i think which i really liked is about the kind of ecosystem so with the tailored talent program, what it sounds like is it was something that, you know, was part of a, a wide, I mean, a very much a wider sort of cultural thing about really, you know, building a very inclusive culture. What Thinking about ways to sort of, in, you know, as you said, moments that matter that you can think about people as a whole person. I think that's really important. Um, so it fitted within that. I've got one final question, if that's OK, Jess. And it would be what advice would you give to other organisations looking to recruit to extend their uh, talent beyond traditional hires? I think the most important thing for any of the programs that I run and any of the strategic DEI initiatives that we're running is getting that support from the top. And that probably sounds cliche, but particularly when it comes to the hiring initiatives, to have upfront commitment around headcount and funding for a program, it's really taking diversity, equity, inclusion to the next level. People say that they commit to it. It's making them put their money where their mouth is essentially to drive for the outcomes. And provided that you've got a strong business case, and there absolutely will be depending on you know what it is that you're trying to drive against, but if you can show the business benefit of that, you know, for, for Tata, I think I started this conversation with, you know, it was a no-brainer because there's these in-demand skills that we're not just, we're just not capturing if we don't run programs like this. Then that's what's needed to get that over the line and absolutely go to the top in terms of driving that commitment to these types of, of things because they're absolutely driving the right outcomes for the business. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jess, for your time and what's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you for listening. This has been the Inclusive Exclusive brought to you by the World of Work Institute Henry Business School with our very special guests, Jess Freer and me, Melissa Carr. 